This is the English Heritage Podcast. Hello and welcome back to your weekly podcast into England's past. I'm Charles Rowe. Coming up, we're meeting a group of English Heritage volunteers. I've been surprised at how little I knew about Neolithic culture and it's really opened my eyes and I hope that me learning can then show visitors as well what these amazing people were doing. We'll find out how their different roles help bring history to life. There's been all sorts of things like flint napping. How would you make a flint axe? How would you make something to use as rope? How would you weave things? How would you create baskets? And we'll reveal how you can get involved too. Thanks for joining us on the English Heritage Podcast with new episodes every Thursday. Now, as well as protecting hundreds of historic properties, English Heritage works hard to give visitors a good day out. But have you ever wondered what goes on behind the scenes and how much work goes into helping visitors to step into England's story? Well, this week we're meeting some of the volunteers who make it happen at one of English Heritage's most famous sites, Stonehenge. Okay, I've arrived at Stonehenge on Salisbury Plain here in Wiltshire. It's a bit of a grey day, lots of clouds pushing south to north, and they are taking me in the direction of the Stonehenge Visitor Centre. I'm just going to make my way over there to this rather impressive wood and glass panel building. And there we will meet our first volunteer. Hello, my name's Donna McBride and I'm a visitor volunteer at Stonehenge. Welcome. So where have I arrived? This is the main entry point to Stonehenge where visitors come. So this visitor centre is the first point of contact for them. So as I arrive, you would be one of the first people that I would meet? Yes, absolutely. So I'm a visitor volunteer and so I'm around where visitors first come into the site after they've parked or indeed if they've come through on coaches. My role involves welcoming visitors but also it's about trying to ensure that they have a really special experience, that it's a very individual experience for them because everybody comes with their own idea of what Stonehenge is and their own questions and so I'm here to help them in any way, to provide answers to any questions they might have and to point them in the direction of what to see. And you're based more or less within this concourse do you go out further afield? How far do you go? So I'm based here at the entrance, but I'm based in the entrance where we've got a very large display board of the landscape so I can explain to people about the whole landscape and where the stones fit within that landscape. We have a replica Neolithic village here by the visitor centre. We also have a bluestone and a sarsen stone that people can touch and we also have a replica sarsen stone. So there are lots of ways in which we can engage with visitors to explain about the whole landscape before they actually go on to either go for a walk or go up to the stones. How did you get into your role? Well, it was fortuitous really. I hadn't thought of volunteering here because I always thought that there'd be too many volunteers but um, I went to an archaeology festival at Salisbury Museum in the summer and Sue the volunteer manager was there. I went to talk to her and learned that they were looking for volunteers and that was the start really. Have you learnt a lot about the site since volunteering? 
Oh gosh, I have learned so much and know so little. Yeah, we get taught so much, both informally and formally, and there's access to so much literature around the site. I'm learning all the time. There is so much to learn. And also, I think it's just, I've been surprised at how little I knew about Neolithic culture, and it's really opened my eyes, and I hope that me learning can then show visitors as well what these amazing people were doing. Were you keen on prehistory before you volunteered? Was that one of the reasons why you wanted to volunteer? Actually, no. I'm, I'm more, more interested in medieval history, actually. But now I'm drawn to it. I've actually just started a degree in archaeology. Oh, wow. Um, so this fits in perfectly with me, especially as my next module is early prehistory. So it goes hand in hand, and I, I'm fascinated by it, absolutely fascinated. It sounds like you've got plenty out of the role then, really. Yeah, so much. I've learned so much. It's a wonderful organisation to work for, incredibly supportive and friendly. I've made so many friends here. Everybody's so nice to work with. It's a lovely organisation and a lovely site. And also, I'm in awe of the site. Every day I come here and I park, I'm just in awe of what's gone on here over the centuries, not just with the stones, but with the wider landscape. Yeah, and I think there's a great responsibility as well to make sure that this place is kept well presented and looked after for the nation and for international visitors as well. What's been one of your most ex surprising experiences or, or memorable experiences while doing your particular role? I think what surprised me, although I don't know why, is the international visitors, is how many international visitors we get and how interested they are in the site. I'm also surprised at the um, level of education that goes on now for primary schools with prehistory. That is amazing. And I had one conversation with a little girl last week who was here and she was learning about Scarabray in primary school, which is a Neolithic community on the Orkneys. It just amazed me because I certainly never learned anything like that at school. So it's wonderful that children are having access and learning at school about Neolithic culture. And Neolithic culture is exactly what we'll be doing next yes. as we go to meet our next volunteer. So perhaps if you could take me along to the Neolithic houses and we'll meet our next volunteer? Certainly. I'm Tabby Grist Parker and I volunteer at Stonehenge for the Neolithic houses. And we're standing outside the sort of mini Neolithic village at the moment with all these houses around us. Shall we go inside where it's a bit warmer and we'll, we'll, we'll chat in there? I've got to dip my head to get underneath the uh, sort of awning here. Don't bump your head. And that is a creaky door. Yeah, these are replica doors from Scandinavia. And this whole thing is a, is a replica, isn't it? Yeah, so these houses are based on the archaeological remains found at Durrington Walls, which is just two miles up the road. It's actually quite dark in here, but I have managed to get my uh, mobile phone torch out and I can actually see... Uh, a few, few objects. Um, can you describe the building itself? It's quite large, isn't it? Yeah, we're not sure how many people would have lived in here, maybe four to eight people, but it's quite a large round structure. It's wattle and daub with a thatched roof made out of hazel and then the walls are chalk because that's what they would have used. My eyes are adjusting now actually so I can start to see more of the of that white chalk coming through. So how long have you been volunteering in this kind of space? So I've been volunteering here since October, so not very long. How are you finding it? I 
really enjoy it. Yeah, I actually love volunteering here. Everyone's really friendly and it's really nice talking to lots of different people. What attracted you to doing this particular role in the Neolithic houses? Are you particularly interested in prehistory and the Neolithic period? Yeah, I actually do archaeology at Bournemouth University, so I'm a third year, yeah. And I'm doing my dissertation on Neolithic long barrows, so I thought it'd be cool to volunteer here. So you're practically doing a field trip every time you come and do your volunteer role here? Yeah, basically, yeah. I really enjoy it, and I think it's really interesting to see, like, behind the scenes of a sort of heritage site. So. How many people are in your particular team then in this mini Neolithic village? It varies. So actually it's really flexible and you just come in when you'd like to. So sometimes we have two people here talking to people or sometimes it's just yourself. I guess you get a lot of international visitors coming along and popping their heads in and, and seeing what you've got inside and rooting around and asking questions. What's it like yeah. to sort of meet an international audience so close it's really interesting actually i think it's great because it like broadens your perspective of the world so we have a lot of american visitors japanese and then a lot of european can you show me some of some of the stuff you've got in here so this is one of the beds which is sort of rectangular with plaited mats and then bear or deer skins on top so if uh, someone comes in and, and says, can you take me through w- what I'm looking at? You can give a sort of encyclopedic explanation of, yeah, s- of some of this stuff. So, so what yeah. are we looking at here? So we're looking at a range of tools from the Neolithic period. So we've got flint axes and we've got antler and cow scapula, which is the shoulder bone. So they would use that as a sort of pick and shovel. So when you see the henge, that's what they would have made it out of. What's the question that you mostly get asked when someone comes in here and wants to have a look around? The main question we get is where does the smoke go from the fire? So obviously we've got a fire in the middle, like the hearth. A fireplace at least with some some kindling there. Yeah and then where does the smoke go because we haven't actually got any holes in the thatch. No. So what's the answer? Well, we don't know because there's not much evidence. We don't know if they would have had holes or not in the thatch for chimneys, but thatch is quite easy to light. So if you had lots of sparks going up and you've got a hole, that creates more oxygen, so the fire will get bigger and then you're more likely to set your house on fire. So the theory is that without the oxygenation of the centre of this building, it actually helps lessen the fire risk. Yeah. Prehistoric health and safety questions aside, (laughs) what have you learnt about this role in your short time here? I think I've learnt quite a lot. It's a good reflector of yourself, how you talk to people. I'm quite shy generally, but when I'm talking about prehistory, I get really excited and nerdy about it. So So you learnt a lot about yourself, but also about the site as well. Yeah. You learn like different things, like funny stories behind the scenes and like what everyone does. You can tell when it's like a busy day and there's lots of people around and stuff. You're obviously a university student studying archaeology at Bournemouth University, not far from here. And how old are you now? So I'm 20. So would you recommend this to some of your student friends or would you say this is something people could do of all ages? Yeah, I think it's open to all ages. It's a really good thing to do, like, no matter what age you are. I think for university students, like, I have to get up really early for me, like 6.30am. But I really enjoy it and I love coming here and it just feeds into your knowledge and, you know, it looks good on your CV. It's a good thing you mentioned CVs there (laughs) because I'm just about to go and meet an education volunteer. So 
if we could go outside and perhaps you could take sure. me to Chris. Yeah. My name is Chris, Chris Jessup, and I've been working here since 2014. So I've, I've had a go at education roles, I've had a go at other bits as well, and I, I quite like the whole variety of things that's possible to do here. There is a lot of variety here. Standing where we are at the moment, actually, you can pretty much see the entire landscape. Uh, you can't quite see the stones, I don't think, from here, but you can see the no. road that connects you yes. to the stones. And in front of us here, we've got a large stone, I believe, which came from Wales, which we think is where the actual stones came from to build the real Stonehenge. Yes, I mean, the blue stones came from Wales. This isn't actually a blue stone, but it's of the same size and weight of one of the, the largest blue stones that came from Wales. So we've been doing some experiments with this. So we've made a sledge. First of all, we were given a tree trunk, a diameter of just over a foot or more, and we had to split that in half just using Neolithic tools, which I thought, how are we going to do that in a day? No chance. Anyway, it does work because the tree trunk is green. It's been recently cut down, and so it actually splits quite easily. So it's and quite pliable. So an hour and 20 minutes later, we had two halves. It's quite amazing. Well, it's a bit chilly out here, and I can right. hear the wind slightly rushing over the microphone. Okay. So let's talk a bit more about your education role, okay. but perhaps indoors. So where's okay. the best place to go? Right, we'll go to the education room. Well, it's very apt. Yes, Lead the way, is. sir. Okay. Here we go. Thank you very much. Right. Okay, thanks. After you. It's almost like a mini conference centre or classroom. Yes. We've got, yes, uh, we've got about, what, six tables yes. with different coloured chairs, uh, yellow, red and orange, and a yeah, whiteboard. Yeah. Yeah? Well, a projector. Yeah, a screen with a projector so you, people can come along, give a talk, they can plug their laptop into that. And we do quite often in the evenings have talks for visitors or for staff or for volunteers. Do you do discovery visits here as well? Yes. And for people who don't know, what is a discovery visit? Okay, a discovery visit is something that will be organised, there's three types of them, for a school. So a school will have a look at what the possibilities are and they'll book a specific day to come to do it. Each will be a two-hour session and the schools will pay for those. What do you like about your role then? Because you mentioned at the start that you've done a lot of different roles yes, here. Yes, that's right. And well, you're talking in your education role capacity yes, right now. true, true, yes. Well, the children are of an age which are really nice, I think, really. They're enthusiastic about things, they're excited about it, acting very naturally and so on, and, and so it's great to work with. Sometimes you have to try and calm them down a bit, but other times, no, it's very good. What were their main questions that they come out with then? Well, the weirdest question, one of them was that on the horizon you can see a big, tall building, which actually does look like a big grey stone from a distance, but it's actually a drying tower in the farm across the way there, <laughs> which actually, I discovered, was interesting, it was built by the father of one of the volunteers who works here with us today. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I guess that's one of the things that you need to be prepared for. Yes. It's not just going to be about prehistory, it's also what else we can see here. Yeah, yes, that's right. Yeah. Well, children don't confine themselves to anything, do they? Anything that comes into their head. 
You mentioned there that modern fixture on the landscape, yeah. but what's the most popular aspect of Stonehenge that school groups enjoy? I think probably it's the sort of age and mystery of the thing. I mean, they are fantastic great stones, of course, but we just know so little about them. What on earth was the purpose of it? Why would you spend all that time and effort creating something like that? And sometimes I say to the children, right, when you grow up, if you're a scientist, why don't you make a time machine? Go back and find out. But I'm, on the other hand, I sometimes think maybe that's not a good idea because the mystery of the whole thing is an important aspect of it. And we're standing here just before winter solstice, and I guess yes. that's one of the main reasons that Stonehenge was built, obviously. Yes. To mark yes. Uh, the passing of time, but also the movement of the sun. Yes. And hopefully longer, brighter days ahead. What else goes on in this room? You, you mentioned the school trips will come in. I can imagine them filling these seats and, yes. and there being a real noise and teachers trying to keep control of them and what have you. But are there any other things for adults that go on in here? Um, yes, so there'll be lectures that will go on here and they'll have uh, training courses for the volunteers. So we'll have workshops. That's always quite interesting. Um, it's really good that they give us that sort of opportunity. So there's been all sorts of things like flint napping. How would you make a flint axe? How would you make something to use as rope? How would you weave things? How would you create baskets? How would you use clay? Because they, they could have clay at those times and they made pottery items which are going to be really important to keep animals away from grain or milk or anything like that mm. and small children. Of course. They would still have the same problems that we have today with small children. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's meet the final person on uh -huh. the podcast who right. is grand organiser of all you volunteers. Yes, that's uh, right. Where do we need to go to do that? Okay, well, I think I can see Sue in the distance, so she's very good with all of us, and we do like her. So, yes, let's come over this way. So we've gone through the education centre, pulled back the sliding door, gone through the cafe area, and we're now back where we started which is sort of the main concourse and I'm standing here with Sue Martindale and what do you do here Sue? Um, I'm the volunteer manager on site here at Stonehenge and how yes. many volunteers do you have working for you? We've got around about 110 at the moment but we're sort of gradually building that number up and we're always looking for new volunteers as well always keen to hear about hear from new people how does that compare with other sites in the country? Um, is that a large team? Well, some sites have one or two people and some sites like Kenwood have around about 300 volunteers. So we're sort of somewhere in the middle. We would like to have more volunteers, so we're looking to build our team at every opportunity, really. How many volunteers are currently working with English Heritage as a whole, do you know? There are around about 3,800 across the organisation and that's gone up quite considerably over the last year or two as well, which is very good. What kind of roles are available? We've obviously touched on a few today. Yeah. Got visitors, education, yeah. the Neolithic yeah. homes, etc. Yeah. We have those three roles and we also have an exhibition role. That's a similar role to other parts of the country where people have what's called an explainer volunteer role. And we also go out into the community. We have a volunteering gazebo and stand which we take out. And so, so quite a lot of our volunteers are also community engagement volunteers. And these are all visitor-facing, are they? Or Yes. Here, on, here at Stonehenge, all of our roles are visitor-facing. But across the country, there's a whole variety of visitor-facing and behind-the-scenes roles. 
because the nature of our site is that we are a visitor centre. We don't have any behind-the-scenes things to do. How do you divide up the tasks if people want to do certain things, or how does it work? People choose their own role, depending on what their interests are. And there's always the opportunity for people to do more than one role. So some people just do the exhibition, for example. But other people, like Chris, does all five of our roles. We have several volunteers who do two or three different things. So it's, it's really up to the, the individual. What does your typical day look like then? There is no typical day at Stonehenge. We're an incredibly busy site. So you come into work with, with the intention of doing one or two particular things and then life happens and people are always our priority here, you know, and so that takes precedence over, over pretty much everything else. Are there any particular challenges that you have to face? Obviously we've got the weather today, it's a little bit damp, a little bit windy. What are your main challenges here on site apart from the weather? I have quite a few admin tasks that I need to do and, and because we're dealing with people they have to take priority and so you quite often find yourself doing unexpected things. So it's just really keeping all the balls in the air and, and making sure that everything's going along at the same same time. What do you find most rewarding about your job then? Because if I look at your badge there, it says Sue Martindale Volunteer Manager, but there's also, yeah. as well as an English Heritage logo, yeah. there's a French flag. There is a French flag, yes. Yeah, I'm one, one of the, the many people on site who speak a different language. In fact, we have something like 14 different languages spoken across the, across the site. And in fact, three of our volunteers have some degree of Japanese, which is, is amazing. So that's but rewarding in itself. It's, it's, it is, yes, it, because we can always find somebody who can, or pretty much always find somebody who can, who can talk to a visitor who perhaps doesn't have any English. But the thing that I find really rewarding is the value that the volunteers give to the visitor because they have the time to stand and chat to them and to go into things in the depths that the visitor would like to go into them, you know. So people leave feeling that they've had personal engagement and they leave, hopefully, you know, feeling far more informed than they'd expected to. What would you say to people who are thinking about volunteering at this site or any other English Heritage yeah. site? Yeah. All of our volunteering roles across the organisation are on the volunteering pages of our, our English Heritage website. Or you, you can pop into the site and have a chat with members of staff or other volunteers to find out what roles are available. And particularly at our site, because we, we're able to get out to the community, we go to community shows and fairs, and people can come and talk to us there and, and find out about our volunteer roles. What do you think of the benefits as well for volunteers, both from a personal and English heritage perspective? Because I guess there's a symbiotic relationship there. Everyone's getting yeah. something out of it. There is, yes. I mean, it, as I say, we really value the difference it makes to the visitor experience, having a volunteering team here. If, if we've got younger volunteers, it's good for their CV because volunteering seems a very positive thing by employers. It gives people the opportunity to find out more about something that might have been their passion for a long time and they can actually become in, involved and feel valued. You know, they can make a difference to people, which is what most of us want to do. Yeah, and make a difference to all the sites that English Heritage That's care right, for, yes. and particularly yeah. this site as well. Yes, for us, yeah, but every volunteer across the organisation makes a difference in their own way. You've been listening to the English Heritage Podcast. To find out more about what volunteering roles there are, just head to the English Heritage website and click on the Support Us tab. 
We're back next week looking at what life would have been like for Roman soldiers living on Hadrian's Wall. We're still 300 or so years until the end of the Roman Empire, so I guess it's at its height. It's still incredibly successful militarily. Thanks for listening. See you next time.